Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries and actually it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost and I just wanted to take her hand and help her get get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will always be enough. My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope at endad.org.au. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have my dear friend and colleague, Keisha Amesqua, with me. Now, Keisha has a master's degree in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University and is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California, Texas, and Oregon. She is a certified eating disorder specialist supervisor and a certified Daring Way facilitator. She's also trained in EMDR and cognitive processing therapy. Until mid-2019, Keisha also served as the Vice President of Clinical Programming for Montanito and Affiliates, an organisation where she worked for almost 13 years. Her eating disorder training was done under the supervision and mentorship of the incredible Carolyn Coston, founder of Montanito and pioneer in the field. Currently, she has a private practice in Agora Hills and also serves as a consultant for various projects related to eating disorder treatment. Keisha has also contributed to books and articles about eating disorder treatment and recovery and is frequently a speaker at national conferences. She has also consulted on the matter of eating disorders and mental health for various different TV productions. Prior to making her way to therapy, she graduated with honours from Texas A&M University with a degree in journalism. And she previously worked in magazine, editorial, television production and marketing and advertising. You've just done a little bit there, haven't you, darling? Kind of a little bit in my few years. <laughs> Just like to keep yourself busy. Right. Hi. <laughs> Hi. So, so lovely. I wish that so we were good. together in California, but we're not, or that you were here in Australia, but it's lovely okay. for us to have an excuse to have a real proper chat. I know. I'm so happy just to be with you. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive in. I would like to begin with you giving our listeners a little bit of an insight into your own personal journey with eating disorders. Sure. Okay. Um, so I struggled with an eating disorder many years ago at this point. Um, and it was actually kind of shocking to me when I developed an eating disorder because I remember growing up, I had a friend who, who had developed an eating disorder and I thought, I love food. I just can't ever imagine having an eating disorder and, and, and struggling in that way. Cut to several years later and, and some things going on in my life. Um, and that became food and exercise became my way of coping with my 
anxiety and my struggles and life transitions and things like that. And I really was unaware of it until people around me started asking me questions and, and making comments. And, and I thought, um, really, you know, I had, had drank the Kool-Aid of diet culture and I thought, no, I mean, I just, I just like to exercise. I just like to eat healthy. Um, and, and meanwhile, it was all consuming in my life. Um, and I had, after college, I had moved to New York to pursue uh, a career in magazine journalism. And that that change and, and being this girl from Texas and kind of a sheltered existence and moving to Manhattan was actually quite overwhelming for me. And I really didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to ask for help and support and, and be vulnerable in that way. And, and I turned to food and exercise instead uh, in an even more intense way. Um, when I finally made it back to Texas, it had gotten to this place where it was just um, really, I, I didn't have a handle on it and, and not that you ever do, but I really just couldn't make progress in the way I needed to in, in just outpatient care. And so I ended up in treatment and that was such a foreign concept for me, this idea of treatment. And when I was presented with the option, I was terrified. And, and I remember my therapist at the time, she showed me a video, a promotional video from a treatment center and everyone was sitting around in circle in a circle and they were like talking about their feelings. And it was meant to be kind of this kumbaya feeling of like, look how, how lovely this is. And, and I thought that sounds, that looks awful. I want no part of that. I don't want to sit in a circle and talk about my feelings. Um, and now obviously I love that. And, and I, I want everyone to have that experience. Um, but I ended up going to treatment just at a hospital that was down this basically down the road from my house because I was too scared to do anything um, out of state or, or bigger or, or different. Um, and, and what I always say is it wasn't a great program, but it was actually what I needed because it was this stark reality for me of if having an eating disorder ends up here, I'd, I'd, I don't want a part of that. So I'm going to eat my food and figure out the rest because I don't, I, I, I want to do more with my life. Um, I didn't really realize that people, some people didn't get better um, and that some people had a longer journey. I was naive that um, I kind of thought of it like a cold. Like when I have a cold, I never think I'm not going to get well. I'm going to, what if I have this cold forever? I, I think, oh, well, yeah, of course I'm going to get well. I don't know when, but, but I, I will get better. And I, I kind of approached my eating disorder recovery in that way of, of, of course I'm going to get better. You know, I just have to kind of figure out when and, and how that's going to happen. Um, and then I noticed people around me that I'd gone to treatment with not getting better. And that's when I kind of stepped back and thought, huh, this is interesting. These people aren't getting well. Um, and, and I wonder why that is and why did I get better? And is this, this my gift, you know, is this the, my opportunity to do something with my struggle? And that's when the idea of becoming a therapist came into my life. I love that. That's kind of in a nutshell. I love that analogy about the cold. I hadn't thought about it like that before. Yeah. I feel really grateful that, that I didn't, um, that I didn't have that all those years ago. It wasn't as common to have an eating disorder. Um, and so it, it wasn't 
I kind of had, that was a protective factor a little bit for me of just, you know, I, it didn't occur to me. I didn't have a lot of examples of people not getting better around me. And so it didn't seem like something that wouldn't happen. And I feel really grateful for that. Yeah, and that's why I feel so strongly that people can, you know, that, that you can be recovered because I've experienced it. And, and I know that that's true. Yeah, I mean, you and I are both so fiercely, um, you know, certain about that and advocate for that so strongly because we know that, you know, you can get well. It doesn't matter how long you've struggled for or how hard it's been. You can absolutely do it. Right. Yeah. And I can, and I think we, that's what we get. So we're so strong in that sentiment because for me, um, the lived experience, you know, anything that I've lived through, I can, I can advocate for, right. Um, like I'm a parent having young kids and that's an excruciatingly hard experience while also being really beautiful and lovely, but I can talk about that. Like, I know you can get through it because I have lived that and gotten through that the same way I can say that about an eating disorder because I've lived that and gotten through it. Yeah, absolutely. And so for those who haven't, you know, lived it and gotten through it, how would you describe to someone what an eating disorder feels like? Like, how does it feel to be in the depths of it? Mm, Good question. What I always explain to people is it felt like living in a prison in my own mind. And I think when you're the one struggling with an eating disorder, um, if, if part of that manifestation, there's physical ramifications, then people in your life get very focused on that part. And that's the part that scares people and that comments get made or, um, people in your life get really focused on the behaviors that you're doing, um, what they don't know, but you know, as the person struggling is that it's the mental anguish that you experience on a minute by minute, second by second basis, that is the excruciating part. It's that inability to escape it. Um, I remember so distinctly when I was in the, the depths of my struggle that I would dream about food and I would dream about behaviors. And one night I woke up in the middle of the night doing sit-ups in my sleep and that was where I, I, I just I was taken aback of, oh my gosh, I have no reprieve. There's no reprieve. Not even my sleep is restful because even in my sleep, I am tormented by this eating disorder. It's such a lonely, miserable existence. And you're right. It's torture. You know, I describe it as a living hell because you cannot escape. It is relentless every moment of every day. And I think that's what people struggle to comprehend is that there is no, there is no moment where you're just like, oh, just for a moment, I'm just going to chill out for a second. It's constant and it infiltrates every single part of your life. And that's the thing is that there's also no room for anything else. So life becomes singularly focused on the eating disorder, because when you're thinking about one thing day in and day out for every second of every day, there is no room to think about really a job or a family or friends or 
hobbies or anything like that. And if you are, you're not present for it and you're kind of going through the motions, which can be even a lonelier existence to be doing things, but not even present for them. Absolutely. It sucks the living daylights out of you. <laughs> There's, there is yeah. no room for anything other no. than the no. calculation and um, obeying the rules of that evil illness that's taken you over. Yep. Yeah. Were there moments that you felt hopeless and like you wouldn't recover? There were moments when I just felt like, how am I going to get myself out of this? I never thought... I won't get out of it, but I just couldn't fathom how. And again, I remember talking to my therapist and she said, well, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I kind of described this life that was very full. And, and she said, well, what about your eating disorder? I was like, "Mm, it's gone. And I don't, I don't have it. And she's like, where did it go? How did it go away? I was like, "I, I don't know. It's just, it's just gone. And, and she said, look, Santa didn't bring you that for Christmas this year. So do you think that that's just like shows up under the Christmas tree? And that really made me step back and think, oh, I have to, this is, I have to actively participate in the getting better from this. It's not just going to go away. And I think that was the part for me. I had just, I just hoped that it would just, I'd wake up one day and it would be gone. And that was the, that was one of the hardest parts for me. Mm, That active participation is absolutely key. I say it to clients all the time. It's like, I can give you all the support in the world and I give you all the tools and strategies, but unless you actively participate every moment of every day in your recovery, and like I always say, that conscious, consistent commitment, then, you know, we aren't going to get anywhere with this because ultimately it comes down to you. Right. I mean, look, insight is brilliant and important and amazing and insight alone will not affect any change. You know, you have to change your behaviors. And that's one of the hardest parts for people struggling is that they have to make actual behavior change. Um, and, and that is painful and difficult, but absolutely necessary and worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah. How did you- we wouldn't be talking here if, no. it, if it wasn't worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. We wouldn't have devoted our lives to, to giving back to this if it wasn't worth right. it. Uh, how did you come to a place of acceptance with your body? That's a hard one, right? Because uh, especially I think in diet culture and being women, um, kind of just um, statistically more difficult for women than men and, and the images that we're bombarded with and, and all of those things. Um I think it, 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 it's time and appreciation for what my body does for me and making my um, worth really ha- having my worth based on things that are not appearance related um, so that I really feel a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in my life that is that are based on things that are inherent qualities about me um, rather than the size of jeans that I wear and and things like that. And the, the beautiful part I think about body acceptance is that it just gets deeper and deeper and better and better as the years go on. You know, it's been a long time for me now that I've been recovered and, and for me, um, getting to be a mom and, and having my body, I, I feel so blessed and grateful that I've been able to carry my, children and, and see my body change and, and give life and then 
nourish my children. And then, and to just, I feel like my body is like so powerful and amazing. And why would I ever want to do anything but accept this body that has done such amazing things and, and, and given me these beautiful gifts. So that's the, the depth that can keep coming with body acceptance. And, um, and then there's the aging process along with it, right. That we, uh, we have to also embrace as we go along, because that's an inevitable thing, no matter what, no matter whatever happens with eating and, and eating disorder, body image, aging is something that is real also. And to be able to find appreciation for our bodies and ourselves at each stage in life. Um, and, but it's an active gratitude practice, I think. And then the other part that I think is really important and that was really important for me was I had to take a, a intentional and significant break from magazines and imagery and things like that, because I was so susceptible to that marketing and that um, kind of in my face image of uh, the airbrushing and, and all of that. And um, being able to take that break helped me disconnect and, and um, lessen that importance and, and that um, idealization of, a, of the female body. I did very much did the same with taking a break from social media when, when I was recovering because it's just you just need to remove yourself from that. Sometimes you don't need that in your face until you're strong enough to be able to withstand it and not let it affect you. Sure, and let's be honest. In some ways, we don't we actually don't need it at all ever, you know, mm-hmm. um, because there's so much about social media that can be really detrimental, and you have to be really. I think it's it's kind of it should be one of those things that comes with a warning label, you know, like use at your own risk and, you know, and be really thoughtful about the way you're using this because there's certainly lots of beautiful things, but you have to um, be intentional about seeking that out. Yeah. Yeah. Now you do have three beautiful children. Do you ever worry about them developing an eating disorder? Absolutely. Um, I think it would be naive and remiss of me not to because it's such so prevalent and um, and because friend influence is so big in, in kids' lives and teenagers' lives. And um, my kids are going to have to navigate um, social media and things that I didn't have to navigate. Think goodness when I was growing up um, and I still developed an eating disorder. Um, and I actually was just talking to a, a, a client I have who just graduated high school and um, she was talking about the science class and these videos that they would watch when she was in middle school and, and they would talk about fat and, and um, calories and all of these things and, and how impactful that was in a very negative way for her. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I've got to talk to these science teachers at these schools because kids don't need, they they don't understand the risk factors and what they're potentially the information they're, they're giving out and the potential harm that it's going to cause. Um, And so of course I worry about my kids and their friends and, and I, and, and it makes me want to advocate even more. It makes me want to be an active participant and educate the teachers and be really mindful of um, my kids' interaction with social media and their friends' interactions and all of those things that are happening. Um, 
and have honest, open conversations about it. Yeah, it's it's crazy what goes on in schools at the moment. I had a family reach out to me and their son had been really heavily influenced by some things that were said in health class. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of the questions that were in a test regarding um, just the use of the word fat or uh, yesterday a client said to me that they were told by a teacher point blank about, you know, they shouldn't they should only eat X amount of cashew nuts because they were really this, that, and the other, like just things that should not be said. Um, It's just, it's so, so essential. Um, And yeah, it's, it's so frightening. Well, I think it's, it, it, that highlights that example by the teacher. For me, it highlights that, you know, none of us are immune to diet culture. Like we have all grown up in it. And so it's so universal and people don't even realize how impacted they've been that they just regurgitate this information or what they think is healthy information or helpful. Um, and w- without even having their uh, awareness around it of their own biases or their bl- own blind spots. And, and I think that's the other part is that I have to do my best as, as a parent to model um, self-worth and self-acceptance and an all foods fit model and, and those kinds of things, because my kids, no matter how much I want to advocate and, and, and protect them, I, there's only so much that I can do before they're out in the world and they have to navigate that water on their own. Mm. And that's all you can do. That's all you can do. Um, It's a scary, scary world out there uh, at the moment in so many ways. And we just have to do the best that we can to provide safe spaces where, you know, children feel like they can be open and honest and vulnerable and be heard and be supported through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have had a lot of conversations with clients lately about bullying that happened at young ages and, um, and a, a profound sense from them about what they didn't get the protection they were looking for, or the support they were looking for the counter messaging to the bullying that they didn't get and not because they're the adults in their lives don't love them intently and, and, you know, and, and, and want them to be okay, but because the adults didn't quite know what to say to counter those messages or their, you know, what they said to try to counter them was inadvertently also playing into bullying messaging or, or diet culture and things like that. And so I so often just ask, people, what did you need to hear? What did that little kid need to hear? You know, what, what would have felt really helpful and supportive? And I think we all have to think about that for ourselves, you know, and, and, um, and, and kind of then give that to ourselves now. I couldn't agree more. Now, since recovering, you have used your lived experience in some amazing roles. Could you share with our listeners a little bit about what you've been up to? Oh, well, you know, I, when I became a therapist, I knew I, I wanted to work in eating disorder treatment. That was my goal. I just wanted to have that experience and thank 
goodness, you know, I was God and the universe took care of me and, and, and helped me land at Carolyn's door, basically, um, where I got to spend almost 13 years working for Montino and affiliates, um, a bulk of that time under Carolyn and, um, the other amazing souls who she had trained. And, and so I trained with her and she mentored me and, and is now a dear friend and, and continues to be a mentor. Um, but that experience has really shaped me as a clinician and as a human. I use so much of what I learned there um, every day in my own life and obviously in my practice with my clients now. Um, so that was a really important part of my of my journey as a therapist. Um, and from there um, and that experience and working in all levels of eating disorder treatment and, um, and, and all of that, I, I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things and help consult in different projects and, um, eating disorder treatment programs and, um, television shows and, um, kind of mentor new therapists and supervise clinicians who are wanting to, um, learn more about eating disorders. And, and that's really exciting for me now. I love watching this new kind of crop of, of therapists grow up and, and learn and, and get to continue kind of spreading that message. How incredible was it, you know, to work under Carolyn for all those years. I mean, she is just such a living legend. And I mean, I thank my lucky stars every day that we've become dear friends as well. It's, it's incredible. But was that just amazing to have all those years under her leadership? Yeah. I mean, it became a family. We really, truly were a family, all of us. And it was, it was kind of this lightning in a bottle situation, what she created and, and all of the people that were, that she attracted there to be, to work with her and to learn from her. And I just, it's one of those things that I still, those humans that I worked with and, and, we, we did so much time together, um, in those walls of of treatment that they're still my dearest friends. They're they're the people that I know without a doubt I can rely on, um, who share the same values, who see the world kind of through the same lens. Um, I feel really lucky that I live in Los Angeles, but, but I have that experience, that really deep and soulful experience. Um, and those humans in my life, it just, I still sometimes think like, I can't believe how, how blessed I am that those, those are my people. Um, and we just, the work we got to do felt so incredibly rewarding. And, um, and every day I learned something and every day I grew and, um, and Carolyn is just, she, she's first and foremost, before a, a clinician, she's a teacher. That's kind of what she does best is she just, she's just so full of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, I've had experiences just walking through a museum with her, you know, just like when we were traveling in another city and walking through a museum and she just knows everything about everything in the museum. She's Mm -hmm. just this like encyclopedia. Um, And so I just was constantly learning, um, but learning in a way that felt relevant to my life and my well-being um and and that really helped shape me as a as a therapist because that's kind of what i aim to do with my clients is is kind of teach and guide and nurture um and that idea that that 
we always wanted clients to leave session or group having gained some little bit of wisdom or knowledge to leave with something. And, and I kind of use that every day in my practice. You're so right about Carolyn. She's just so wise. And mm-hmm. I always learn, I just always learn so much. Um, not only when we're together, you know, actually physically together, but also just on, you know, whenever we talk, I always come away from things. Um, it was just with something to think about or mull over mm-hmm. or something that I've something that I've learned or a different perspective on things. And I so, so, so value that. And I I completely agree with you in terms of the incredible um, atmosphere and, and the people that she created. I mean, I vividly remember that day that I walked into Montanito Vista for the first time and um, and I saw Anna and that was amazing. And then I remember coming into your office. I vividly remember it. Um, and I think it was Opal's drawings on the wall. And I remember saying to you, hey, you know, um, I'm here because we're trying to do this little thing in Australia. <laughs> we kind of want to create a Montanito over there. And I remember it just so vividly. Um, and, and the atmosphere of of the place and the people in it. And it was just so vastly different from any of the facilities that I'd been yeah. uh, into in New Zealand or Australia. And it was that moment of like, wow, it's about the whole thing. It's about not only, you know, where it's situated, but it's about the, the you know, it's about mm-hmm. the property. It's about the people in it. It's about all those little things that culminate mm-hmm. in creating that beautiful, holistic, loving, warm atmosphere right. that is conducive to that hope and that healing. Right. Well, I think it, it's that idea that to really heal, you have to feel safe, right? You have to feel safe to break open, to be able to be put back together. And I, I feel like that's what Carolyn really was able to create with her programs is, is this, this very safe, very comfortable, serene, cozy environment that you felt like, okay, I can exhale. I can tell the truth here. I can be authentic here. And it's going to not only just be accepted and received, but it's going to be embraced and nurtured. And I'm going to learn how to be that every day in a way that I'll then want to be able to go back out in the world and do that again. And it's just, um, it it was such a unique, beautiful experience. And, and it's not just that clients felt that. I mean, everyone who would walk through the doors, families, um, new clients, staff members, potential staff members, outpatient therapists who were visiting, firemen who had to come, you know, anyone who walked in, there was a visible softening, a visible exhale because of the just the energy that was created there. And I think that that's what, Um, you know, we've learned that people with eating disorders, like Carolyn always says, they're the canaries in the coal mine, right? They're, they're typically the really sensitive temperament. So you throw them in an environment that's hostile or stark or abrasive or cold or, you know, um, strict or any of those things. And they feel that, that energy they take on, they feel it. They can't 
they can't really like my whole body like does this, you know, like Mm. tenses up. They can't really like just drop in and relax. And she knew that. And she knew that there needed to be a place. There needed to be programs where people could relax and drop in to the experience of recovery. Well, it's absolutely impossible to get out of your head and into your heart when you're in a place that you're feeling threatened or worried or on edge and you really need, you know, that warmth and that that homely setting that you can, as you say, mm-hmm. just soften, exhale and go, all right, here we go. I'm ready. Exactly. Yeah. And every, the last thing I'll say about it really quick is that everything – that was created there was intentional. Every single thing that was done had a thought behind it. And I think that was the other really beautiful part that you could feel. Absolutely. Now you are a certified daring way facilitator. Tell us more about Mm -hmm. that. Well, several years ago, I I stumbled upon Brene Brown's work, um, her books and I just couldn't get enough. I thought, oh my goodness, this woman is brilliant. Everything she's talking about resonates on a very deep level. Um, And it also just felt like such a good um, pairing with my training at Montanito and everything I had learned from Carolyn. So her, her work on shame and shame resilience and vulnerability and courage and all of that, it just felt like it, 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 one, it just feels universal, right, to every human, and two, very appropriate and and um, necessary work for people with eating disorders and body and self-image disorders. Um, and so, I just wanted to read more and learn more, and um, I got super excited about the idea that that she was offering these. Um, workshops, these certification courses to become certified in her teachings. Um, and so I remember like getting online and looking and it was like, they weren't doing any and that, but I signed up to get an alert the next time they did. And the next time that they did, I was nine months pregnant, but I was like, I'm not missing this chance. Um, and so the first one I could, I got accepted. I could, the first one I could sign up for my, my baby was going to be three months old. I'm like, okay, He's coming with me. We're going, I'm doing this training. Um, and it was just so amazing. And I just felt really, um, so thankful for that. And, and I use it just as with, I use everything that Carolyn taught me every day and every session, I use Brene's work and every day and every session, because again, it's, it's such a good, um, uh, such a good addition. They, they pair so well together. And I think that um, in my work with eating sort of clients, there's so much shame. Um, there's so much uh, fear and, and there's so much discomfort with vulnerability. Um, and, and it's such important work to be able to talk about those concepts. And I talk about shame all the time, just really bringing it out in the open. Um, and people really respond to that because I think that everyone's walking around with some shame, but hasn't necessarily put a a name to it. Um, And so just to name it is really helpful. Why do you believe that lived experience is so important um, in, you know, treating people with eating disorders? Mm. I think because like we were describing both of us of that so isolating and so lonely to be going through an eating disorder um, that when someone can sit with you and say, yeah, I get it. 
I've been there. It's really, it just, it breaks open that, that kind of isolated solitary confinement that you've been living in. And to see that someone can say, yeah, I, I get it. I've been there and look, I came out the other side. Um, it is, it can be revolutionary. I remember sitting with clients, um, at Montanito and they had never heard that it was possible to be recovered. They, they had always been told, look, this is something you're going to struggle with to some degree or another for the rest of your life. And they had become really hopeless about that. They'd become really beaten down. Like, I I mean, here I am in treatment, but I don't really know why. Like, why do I want to put in all this effort to try to like get better when I'm never really going to get better? Um, So to have this idea that like you can actually be recovered is it's just that and right there, that just sparks the hope, right? Like there is freedom. I can be released from this jail cell. I don't have to sit here and try to make the jail cell look pretty, you know, and just figure out how to live in it and in a manageable way. I can actually walk out of it and leave it. And that I think is the power of lived experience. Are you happy to see the role of the recovery coach becoming more widely recognized? I love it. I think it's just so amazing. I mean, so many clients I work with now have recovery coaches and, and if they don't, I'm always recommending it because it's that missing piece. It's just, there's been treatment has been so important and necessary for people, um, you know, at, at, to varying degrees, but then there's the leaving treatment. And even if they go all the way through the levels of care into IOP, they leave and there can feel like the bottom falls out, right. Or the rugs pulled out from under you because you were in this place of support and encouragement and accountability. And then, and now I just go see my therapist once a week and my dietitian once a week, and I have to eat all my meals by myself. Um, and, and what, what happens between the sessions. And so the recovery coach is just this incredible asset to the treatment team that I think is, is so important. I mean, I was working with a client recently and the recovery coach was the first time that there were like eyes in the house, right. To like be able to report back this is what's really going on here with the family and with the client and it changed everything. So it, I, I, I love it. Okay. Now I want to dive into self-compassion with you for a moment. Okay. Yes. How do you define self-compassion and how is it different from self-care? Oh, okay. Let me think about putting me on the spot. Um, That's what friends are for, right? Thanks. Thanks a lot, friend. Um, I mean, I think that self-care is to me, self-care is just a daily routine. Like it's a daily ritual. We talk about self-care oftentimes as like this thing that you do in spurts, you know, that it happens like once a month or when you take your vacation or when you have a day off. But really I think self-care is, is, it has to be a daily ritual um, a deliberate act that, that is a part of your routine. I, what I tell, um, clients all the time, the line that I kind of use is it has to be, um, self-care has to be routine, not reaction. And so it needs to be something that just is always what you're doing. And that kind of helps to stave off any 
big crisis because you're always taking care of yourself. Self-compassion is, is more of, of, you know, in my mind, it's, it's, um, it's more of a feeling state. It's more of, of how we treat ourselves, right? It's, it's, it's less of like a specific act or routine that we're doing and a way of being with ourselves, like being with myself in a compassionate way. So if I have compassion towards you as my friend, I, you know, I'm gentle with you. If, you know, if you're having a hard day, I offer words of support when you're going through something hard. I help talk you through something. Um, I remind you uh, that you're beautiful and brilliant and kind and all of those things. That is compassion that I have for you, that I, I forgive your mistakes. You know, I, I allow you to be human. So self-compassion is, is the, extending that same um, that same thought process and that same way of being with ourselves. That's, I guess, how I would define it. Oh, I really like that you've described that really well. Well done. Um, you. Can you give our listeners any tips or strategies on cultivating a stronger sense of self self compassion? I think, like I just said for you, when we think about when, when I have compassion for another human in my life, you know, we try to think of someone that I really care about. What am I, how am I showing up for them? How am I being compassionate with them? And using that to be an example of what we need to do for ourselves, because some, it's so much easier, especially, you know, often for eating store clients who are such people pleasers, caretaker types of people to extend that way of being to another human, but forgetting that they are also another human that could, you know, benefit from that. So if I think, what would I do if I was being compassionate towards Millie, what would I do? Okay. I would do ABC. Okay. What if I did that for myself, you know, and then finding like little ways every day to kind of practice that. Um, and a lot of it is the self-talk, right. Is, is what I would say to you to be compassionate is being able to have that self-talk with myself. And that's, you know, kind of Carolyn's concept of the eating disorder, self, healthy self. I think that's a huge way to, cultivate self-compassion because you're really strengthening that soul self who says kind things, who says supportive things. Yeah. Now, one thing that I get a lot from clients is that they tell me, look, I just want to be the perfect client. I just want to have the perfect recovery. I just Mm want to, I just want to make you proud. Now, what would you say to them? Well, I would say if you want to make me proud, then be human which means being imperfect and being messy and being authentic, you know, I will be so proud of you when you can um, show me your humanness. Um, Because I think we, we know perfection is an illusion, right? And so I think oftentimes eating disorder clients use that perfectionism thing to kind of distract from having to really be human. You know, they, they use that as like a, well, I can't be perfect. So, you know, um, I might as well not even try or kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the perfectionism, which then prevents me from having to, to actually just be in the messy parts of living. Um, and so I would say, get messy, mess up, 
make a mistake, get a bad grade, you know, whatever you need to do and then sit with that feeling. And let's Mm. talk about that. Mm. Let's talk about how uncomfortable that is to not be perfect. Right. Mm. Um, I also like to use the analogy of like, you know, if you, if you see a perfect house and someone has the perfect house, do you want to go in and like hang out in that house? No, you maybe want to like take a picture and say, wow, look at this house, but you don't want to hang out there. You don't want to be there. You definitely don't want to live there. You want to live somewhere where, you know, you can put your feet up on the couch and you know that you can like, you know, spill your popcorn on the ground and you're not going to get in trouble and it's not going to be the end of the world. That's what we want in humans. That's what we want with other people. We want the imperfect person so that we can be comfortable with them. I love that. I really do. You're so, so, so right. Now, you've got this quote on your Instagram bio. You are your own miracle. Can you mm-hmm. elaborate on that? Yeah, um, that is something that I that just kind of struck me one day, I think maybe during COVID and quarantine. And I was just thinking about how much people were suffering uh, and struggling with self-worth and believing that there was anything beautiful or special about them. And I was also, um, you know, talking with a client who was struggling with fertility issues and, and kind of, she was walking me through all the statistics about how like the chances of getting pregnant on any given month and, you know, and, and it really, that's what it kind of just, those things collided and hit for me of, wow, it is such a miracle that each of us is here today that we were born and, and able to like be that, like, you know, 25% chance or whatever every month and that we, we actually are here. And so if we just stopped for a minute and sat with that understanding that it's a miracle that I'm here right now, if I'm my own miracle, what do I want to do with that? How does that change how I feel about myself if I believe that my mere existence is just a miracle, right? Um, and so that's what it is for me. And, and that's, I, I, I just think about that and I want to see everyone through that lens and, 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 and help them see themselves through that lens and, and, you know, write a book about that one day. I think it'd be an amazing book. I'd read it. Thank you, friend. I'd give you a free copy. (laughs) (laughs) What is the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you? Oh, I have to pick just one thing. Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, I feel like my eating disorder journey, if I had to sum it up, because it's really the gift that has given me everything that's come after it. And so what it taught me was to be human, to be authentic, whatever that means, which means, you know, oftentimes messy and all the time imperfect. Um, and that humanness has allowed me all the best relationships in my life and all the best jobs I've had in my life. Um, and is now the foundation for whatever I do moving forward. Um, so I just really embrace my humanness. You're an amazing human. In your opinion, what are the best ways that people can support someone who's going through an eating disorder? 
I would say start with educating yourself. Um, I always tell loved ones, helping someone with an eating disorder is counterintuitive. Whatever you think is the right thing to say is oftentimes going to be the wrong thing. Um, and however you think that maybe they would be helped is uh, it's not helpful. And so getting that education will really help you to understand it and to maybe be able to provide the right kind of support um, because it won't be intuitive. Um, so start with the education. Um, and the other thing I would say that people, people get really scared of um, triggering someone or being more of the problem. And so they shy away. They don't want to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be, you know, you need to be able to say to your loved one, I'm really worried about you. Let's talk about what's going on and be willing to ask them how you can best help them in that, in their journey and, and to getting more of the help that they need. So I would say those are kind of the, the, the top two things I would suggest. And what words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those dear souls that are still in the depths of their eating disorder, battling away every moment of every day to get that freedom back that they so deserve? Yeah, I would say keep going. It takes blood, sweat and tears, but you can do it. It is really hard to get to fully recovered, but not impossible. And that distinction is really important. Hard is not the same thing as impossible. Um, so keep going and ask for help. Let yourself be held accountable and remember that you are your own miracle. You are amazing. And I have absolutely loved having a chance to sit down with you and talk about this stuff. I have so much admiration for all the work that you do. And I am, um, I'm so proud of you. Ditto, ditto. I'm so grateful that my journey has brought me along the same path as yours. And um, I just so, yeah, I just love you and I'm so proud of you. So thank you for letting me participate in this. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast, brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at ended.org.au. I always used to think, like, how can people not hear what's going on in my head? 